Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest where in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, mm. identity, <sighs> culture, Ew. what we like to read, and who we like to read. <laughs> Food for Thought, we're the reason antibiotics exist. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we be spreading infections. Everywhere we go. God. Everywhere. All day, every day. Y'all. Uh, sorry, we're recording in LA right now, and there's a guy in the hallway who, I mean, he has a mask on, but I can tell he's hot. I, I love that. You mm-hmm. like the like mm-hmm. the the bus person at the place last night. He had a mask on, but you knew he was hot. And oh, he, you know. let me tell you, he's wearing a tight shirt and he's got big titties. Like I want to <laughs> motorboat this man. He looks <laughs> so good. I, 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 but like, I, I, what is that? Like, how do y'all kind of like? The mask, like, is someone like hot with or without their mask? Like, you can tell. But I know it's an you can tell. But here's the but you can tell. <laughs> bro, not Pete, right. awful, but like sometimes the bottom half of that face is a plot twist. You know, <laughs> like, and sometimes it's you know, it can't be a and plot like, twist. And with twist. me, like one of my like number one features that I look for in a in a in a boy. Boi is like pretty eyes, uh, and so like so you're I good. Be yeah. so enamored with the eyes yes yes i do think that it makes you you know it makes you notice the things the bit of face that you can see you notice Mm -hmm. everything so much more Mm -hmm. so i the eyes are huge but i you know i love a good luscious lip Mm -hmm. uh which is obviously see this is my problem with nas is no one can tell how good my lips look you do have nice lips lips. well when i get filler i'll be (laughs) (laughs) i have this you know saved to my plastic surgery folder on instagram (laughs) I'm, i'm just so glad i don't have those like those people lip that like turn in, like even just like just a little bit of lip that I have. The I'm very Mitch McConnell for. lip, the Mitch Mc- the, the McConnell, Ew, lip. McConnell what lip. lip? <laughs> yeah, what lip? That's My the person f- who I've enjoyed seeing a mask on. That's true. <laughs> I mean, because then we're literally seeing less of him, and that's always a good thing. My thing with the masks that I really enjoy is actually that when. When this all first happened, I thought, oh my God, if I'm ever like walking out in the street and I see someone who's maybe a hot guy with a mask, I'm not going to be able to tell if they're like flirting with me or like anything like that. But in Mm -hmm. fact, it's actually a lot more fun kind of to just only kind of only be able to see people's eyes. And then when you like lock eyes on the street and they're like checking you out and you're checking them out, there's just something that feels kind of covert about it. It's like like reminiscent of like cruising when it used to be like down by the docks and it'd be all dark out and you could only see but so much, you know? I feel like that people have been really enjoying um, making safer COVID sex by glory holes, which is kind of the same Mm -hmm. thing, right? It's like I really wish that I had had that opportunity, but yeah, I thought that very inventive. Oh, that's great. You're imagining. A a, a good friend of mine uh, who I know is listening right now in Chicago built one in his entryway. Wow. 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 That is dedication. That is. Wow. It's just. A, it's I just a that. sheet. It is a sheet that has a hole in it. What? Wow. <laughs> you know what? Okay, Desperate that's times. Not my tea. <laughs> Desperate times. I, I needed to be like a 
like a, a like a, I don't know, like a gold dipped glory <laughs> yeah, hole. That not like a bathroom yeah. stall. <laughs> diamond bathroom encrusted. Stall. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> One thing that the mask can't hide, in my opinion and in my experience, is sexiness. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's, what, what, I mean. that's what I mean. Yeah, disposition, yeah, yeah. disposition. But I think yeah. it can actually improve sexiness mm. to me for some people. The mask on, yeah, improves sexiness. So. It can give it can give someone who's completely straight edge a little a little a little bit more of an edge. But mm. you still the thing I like this is like me and my protest bay like it's weird because we could still tell we were into each other, right? Exactly. Even though we couldn't see each other's the bottom wow. half of each other's faces. Yeah, that's yeah. next level. Yeah, yeah. Expressive nice. eyes. Um, hello, thoughties. I'm Tommy Teebs, Pico, Indigenous American poet, screenwriter, uh, single and. You know, I'm starting to mingle. Starting to mingle a little starting more. Starting to wow. mingle a little bit. And I'm like insomnia, but make it not fashion at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer. And I've stopped taking selfies because I don't want to exist anymore. Oh, no. Okay. Look at what is on the table I, I right now. Would, is I hate representing Polaroid myself selfie. on film. If only you would stop tweeting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's how you'll know that I'm really not okay if I ever stop tweeting. Yeah. I will be checking in on you. I um, tweet, therefore I am. Mm, no. <laughs> and miles, before, and miles to go before you tweet. I'm Fran. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. Uh, and a croc evangelist. We oh, are. You really are. are the superior race. Okay. Oh, like, wow. let me oh you wow. We went so croc supremacist. Croc oh supremacist. Oh my god. The croc destroyer. Crocs are the croc destroyer. I guarantee well, you, crocs are going to slide into our DMs look, and be like, we do not endorse this. Then, <laughs> then once you croc, the fun don't stop. Oh, let me tell god, you. No. Okay, we gotta stop. No, there oh is my no god. fun happening right now. <laughs> I I I'm I'm now less interested in Crocs than I was yesterday. <laughs> I'm going to go out and buy my first ever pair of Birkenstocks after this. Ew, gross. Don't lie; they're not your first. They won't be True your first. True to your lesbian heritage. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I'm Dan Michelle, and I'm a reader and a writer, a former figure skater. And what you don't know is that the song "Watermelon Sugar" is an ode to eating my pussy. Oh, oh. Mm. Well, so many layers to that. <laughs> so many layers. All true. Uh, I don't care for that. <laughs> uh, so I'll give you the menu this week if nobody else minds. Mm-hmm. Go for it, baby. So this week we're going to start off with a slutty Fran tale, I believe. That's right. We're going to get into that question. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's trauma. It's it's trauma. <laughs> no, no, no. It's always it's trauma. trauma. And uh, Dennis is going to give us a cherry. Watermelon sugar. <laughs> Huh, I'm feeling a little peckish. I think it's time we start the top of the show the way any good top should with a little tease. Our uproarious appetizer segment amuse Boosh. And to amuse our Boosh is Fran, the slut. Tell us. <laughs> you seem already tired, Teebs. Just like so <laughs> over it. But, you know, what's funny is Teebs has kind of heard part of this story already. But for the other thoughts, we'll be totally new. Mm. Um, so, you know, I don't know how y'all were, but like my pandemic was a little, you know, ebbing and flowing of how much casual sex I could have uh-huh. at the beginning. It was uh-huh. terrifying and I did not I did not want to see a, hu- a single person and in, in the summer, you know, New York was in a good place and we were loosening up and I was having more oh, casual loosening sex. Loosening up indeed. Uh, oh, <laughs> loosening up indeed. And then when I came back to LA, things were very bad and yes. I was petrified of having sex once again with people that I did not know. And so I was reaching what was a pretty bad dry spell like maybe i want to say like three months Fuck and you. not just three months but <laughs> and not just three months but 
three months. Um, and the and the 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 fucks that I had right before those three months were really bad, unsatisfactory fucks that I have regaled on this podcast. Um, and so that is kind of the backdrop for where I'm at. In addition to the fact that I am putting out a lot of thirst traps on social media, that is getting true. A lot of bites. And then all of these girls are flaking on me. Like, people DMing me being like, I want to eat your ass. Yes, you're telling us you live in L.A., right? Yeah, and and like, I, mm-hmm. but it's like, what the fuck? Because it's like, it's one thing if we, like, flirt and it doesn't come into anything. But it's another thing where it's like, we flirt. I'm like, cool, come over Thursday. Awesome, let's do this. And then you don't show up. That happened to me maybe four times during Bitch, this dry spell. Fuck that. And so that was... Not good for my self esteem. So um, <laughs> I, I was to, the, to be to 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 be brief. I was spiraling and had a very low sense of self, and I, I was feeling like you know I just needed to be touched, which is kind of antithetical to who I am. If you know who I am, like mm-hmm. I, I'm not intimacy is not really my tea, but I had gone so long without it that I needed it, mm-hmm. um, and so. I don't know. I had been thinking about hiring an erotic masseuse. Like uh, I'd been thinking uh, about like, you know, paying someone to come over and give me a happy ending along with like something of a massage moment. I also had really bad back pain at the time because two birds, one pa- stone pandemic does that. Yeah, exactly. Two birds, one stone. And, um, I, you know, had, I did some research, you know, went to like mintboys.com or, you know, whatever the other sites are. Mm-hmm. Um, and like finally found someone who I was just like, oh, this guy seems hot. Like this guy, Tommy, 6'4". Okay. Okay. Into it. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, looks gorgeous. Sent me a photo. Looks amazing. And like, I don't know if y'all have ever booked a sex worker before, but like the terms are very like clear, yeah, right? Yeah. It's uh-huh. kind of like you will get like it's a one hour massage. It costs X number of dollars. You will get a happy ending. Like there will be, you know, mu- mutual touches allowed. What like, was the site again? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mutual. It's like you're saying I can pay someone to come over and then pay them then to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and they also say that like it's like um, there the masseuse was will also be nude and there's body to body touch, which is another thing that I was really excited about. Like mm-hmm. that, I was like, that's an experience that I am really craving. And so I booked him. I I did it. I was like, you know, this is this the space where I'm at. Like mm-hmm. I, I and I didn't honestly. I I think I was realizing that the only thing that was keeping me from booking it was stigma yeah mm-hmm. that really was it um because i kind of i've the, the story that i when i have told people this story i've really enjoyed it i don't have shame around it it's really just cultural stigma stigma around sex workers in general mm-hmm. and so anyways these terms are sent to me i'm like cool that sounds great i'm someone who like my friends are sex workers or former sex workers and so i'm gonna be like really respectful of that those like terms and those boundaries whatever's been laid in he walks in even more gorgeous in person mm. But he also feels very relatable, mm-hmm. like very like we kind of kiki about if we talked right. about a few things about like Palo Santo. We talked about like my tarot deck. We talked right, about right, a few right. things. And I was like, oh, like, this guy's actually someone that I would like kind of like hang out with. Yeah, totally. Um, which, of course, like is part of a sex worker's job is yeah. to like build a rapport yeah, with yeah, you. But totally. I just felt really safe right away. And I girls, I started to get like a little nervous. I'm oh, yeah, that's normal, I think. Yeah. And I told, and you know, I, I told him, I was just like, you know, this is, a, I didn't tell him that it was my first time until after, but I said, I, I said, oh, you know, I, I, I've never booked a massage before. Right. And uh-huh. so, uh-huh. you know, tell me what to do or whatever. And he was like, he's like, you don't have to do anything, just enjoy yourself. 
Oh my and God. He was like, you can take off your clothes. You can lay on the bed. And uh, yeah, we'll get started. I was like, okay. So the beginning, I, I do exactly that, laying fully nude on my own bed. And in my head, I'm like, I was like, okay, just relax, just relax, just relax. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. And also, like any masseuse, like a, like a non-erotic masseuse, normal masseuses, anytime they touch my back, they like <gasps> because it's like so stiff and so like naughty, and so like that's mm-hmm. another thing that I'm like self-conscious about. But this massage is good. Like uh-huh. just the massage uh-huh. part, I yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. oof, like I'm really needing that. And he's like yeah. getting the kinks out. He's kind of you know, you know, just kind of like actually giving me a real massage. And I was like, this is really nice. Yeah. He's kind of slathering me up in coconut oil, and that smells really good as well. And so like I'm in my head, I'm like, I was like, oh no, this isn't so bad. You're doing okay. And so he gets to the part where he starts to climb on top of me, and that is like really the part that I feel like I am paying for. I was like, this is an incredible, he like literally climbed on top of me. Human touch. And climbed you get dry spell. Yes. Climbed on, dry spell, climbed on top of me. Full body to body touch. His like dick is like on my ass. Like our bodies are like sliding around in like coconut oil. And like, he's like puts his like mouth right next to my neck and he like breathes and like, it just feels like so nice. And you're like shuddering at this yeah. point. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm like losing my mind. And so he, you know, pulls back a little bit. I'm getting these kind of tastes and touches and all this different stuff. He starts to play with my ass a little bit and he starts to you know finger me a little bit and I was like I was like oh like this is kind of nice like this is like I was not really expecting Mm -hmm. this I'm really like like I was like okay like this is like really like uh, truly I did not know what to expect really aside from the terms that he had sent through and so I'm like feeling this moment and all of a sudden he kisses my butthole just the the lightest softest most beautiful kiss on my anus. <laughs> and it was so. I, and I. Den, and, Den is losing Den is her fully, mind. fully astral. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I literally gasped because it was so shocking to me. Because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, that to me is like one step further than I was expecting. But that was also like, please do that ten thousand more times. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And so I, I was like, oh. And then he climbs back on top of me. He starts to grind on me a little more. Mm-hmm. I his I should also state that his penis is like a Coke can. It is a uh. Gorgina penis. I mean, it's a sex worker <laughs> penis. Like it's his job in, in large part. It's like it just looks, it's a gorgeous penis. And so I start, because I know that mutual touch is like part of the thing. I was like, I start touching him a little bit, like kind of like playing with his dick, touching each other, getting in the moment. He climbs on top of me and he kisses me. The most beautiful, breathy, passionate kiss I've ever experienced. And I was like, and in my head, I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? Is this, I was like, is is this part of the term? Is this just normal? Is this a normal erotic massage? In my head, I'm kind of like spinning out a little bit, but I'm still enjoying Mm -hmm. it. So I'm very confused. And he puts his mouth right next to my ear and he says, do you want me to fuck you, baby? And I was like, 
it was like de- it was like my my brain is like like all the little people inside my brain are like eh, eh, eh. like all the alarms are going off everything's so I was like, like I'm freaking out I was like, Doctor I, was like, no. I, like I, didn't, I didn't I didn't prepare for sex like douche wise like I, I, I the the penis looks way too big than what I can handle I am covered in coconut oil I was like I don't know if I'm in like right space for it but of course. The, the sexiest thing that has ever been asked of me in the sexiest way possible. Of course I say, absolutely. Let's do this. He fucks my brains out. Ah! <laughs> it is, and it is so good. He obviously, I mean, he stretched me out really well, which was like another big thing that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. He fucked me with coconut oil only. Mm-hmm. which I had also never experienced. Uh-huh. And it was seamless. Magical. Not a, si- not a single moment where mm-hmm. I was in pain, where I was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it was good sex and a lot of kissing. But the whole time, I'm like, am I paying for this? My brain is like, yes. fuck, is the rate going to be like double now? Because this was like not really on the menu of things that like <laughs> whatever. Like I was like, oh, what's going to happen? He, uh, we he fucked me with a condom, by the way, which was I think was also like a, another part where I was like, I feel really safe right now. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. like, he he's like taking all the kind of like care and action, like asking for consent, all these different things. Again, tiny asterisks out there. Again, yeah, for the thoughts at home, we mentioned this in yes. a previous episode. Condoms are not oil safe, right? <laughs> so, yeah, right. Don't, don't, but, don't try right. this at home. <laughs> but I, she did it. She did it, and I'm fine. <laughs> and um, he, uh, you know, we're, we've been fucking for a while. He pulls the condom off, comes on my back. Oh, we love oh, that. That is so good. The, the feel of that. <sighs> Oof. He cleans me off with like a towel. His towel. His towel. Okay. Yeah. Like when he brought and like this beautiful, like caretaking way. It's not like a throw the towel to you kind of moment, which is kind of what I do mostly. But like he like takes time to like clean me off himself. And then he gets up from the bed and he goes, well, that was unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like... What? And he was like, he was like, yeah, I mean, I was like, he was like, I was just kind of like vibing with you and like I felt something. And so I was like, I was like, yeah, why not? Wow. And I was like, I was like, what? And in my brain, I'd be like, I have the, truly the the lowest sense of self. Like I've never, that's just like not, there's no world where I was like someone this hot who has sex professionally will like want to have sex with me. Right, right, right. But that's literally what happened. And I, I, I like I was like such a I mean it sounds like honestly like a porn that I wrote actually I have watched that porn yeah. to be honest <laughs> yeah. like me yeah. too well, I've watched yep. that porn and I could not believe that it was happening to me and I and I, I kind of left that moment like what when we were cleaning up I, I was kind of asking him I was like well how often do you like have sex with like like because he does he does like ha- you know as a sex worker he's like has sex with people for money but I was like how often do you have sex with you like your massage clients and he was like. He was like, well, I mean, I mean, this is kind of the first time that's happened. Wow. Which could be a lie, but I don't care. Feels good. I was like, sounds great. Okay. Lie to me, daddy. I I was just so enamored, but I came away from that experience feeling like, oh, stigma prevented you from enjoying this. Something you could have had the whole time. And beyond that, I think something that I didn't really realize that I was looking for when I booked this guy was that kind of like that feeling of, oh, you are desirable. You are fuckable. You are mm-hmm. like all these things that you tell yourself you're not like you deserve. Yep. Which he was another thing that he said to me like while we were having sex. He was like, you deserve it, baby. 
Like oh things like my that. God. Oh, yeah. Hell yes. yeah. If someone yes. said that to me during Hell sex, like, yes. I would die. Like, I, that is not hot to me, but I understand that it's I, hot to I other people. Come immediately. So, it was no. so, he was just such mm. a, like, he was so hospitable That's in that right. experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, all I'm trying to say is, like, if, you know, pay for sex. <laughs> sex work is work. <laughs> time we get to the meat of our discussion the thought process called t-h-o-t t-h-o-t and uh den's got our meat this week i sure do i sure do so um we are discussing trauma today and Yay. Uh, Yay. because well, we're bringing yeah, yeah we're bringing all the fun episode. that's why i had my sexy story i was like <laughs> let's bring us up and then take yes. us down <laughs> yes um so here's the thing after 2020, I think we all know a little bit about trauma, but it still helps to go over a few basic principles. Um, so while the most traditional definition of trauma is the emotional and physiological response to a terrible event, anything that puts us in deep distress and overwhelms us can result in trauma that we carry with ourselves. Um, there's also individual trauma. So for me, an example of my life would be um, that time a couple years ago when I was hit by a car and that resulted in both physical trauma and some emotional trauma that lasted for a while. Um, and then there's collective trauma. So wh- <laughs> when I'm thinking about when I think about collective trauma, I think about how um, particularly um, last summer and in the fall, anytime I saw like a Twitter video where like like a black person got really upset about something racist that was happening and like clocked like usually a, a white person saying the N-word or something like that, like, that felt, like, therapeutic for me. And, like, I would go on Twitter and Black Twitter would be, like, sharing the video and be like, this is so therapeutic, this is so therapeutic, that person got what they needed. And it was, like, that was a, a response to collective trauma, right? That that And intergenerational trauma that lives inside all of us as well. I would also define a collective trauma as going on tour with Joe after Joe gets out of the bathroom. <laughs> oh, my God. And producer Alex would agree. <laughs> oh, my God. Horrendous. I managed to, to avoid smelling that, even but though we were all we, living in the same Airbnb. We, as a community, persevered. <laughs> yes. We really we persisted. through that. We persisted. Um, oh, the best is when I shower afterwards, so it gets that it, humidity. Yeah, it's all humidity. Steamy poop vapors that you shower us with, you disgusting, disgusting little man. Just (laughs) unnecessary disgustingness. Um, Anyway, so the the point is, um, we have collective trauma, we have um, individual trauma, we're all living through some of these things together. And the first... um, thing I want to do is make space for that, the trauma that each of us holds um, and that you, our dear listeners, are also holding and managing. And I want to ask um, for my dearest, darlingest Tater Thoughts, mm. how is trauma manifesting in your lives, in our lives? Oh, just a little. <laughs> like, just uh, a very huge, wide question. But, but how is that playing out in some way? Or has it played out? <laughs> the look on Tommy's this face. Is quite the hardball. <laughs> Let's see. Um, immediately when I enter any building or space, I clock the exits. Mm. Just, just I got because I need to get away. And this is this is before pandemic. Um, if I was in the movie theater and like a man would walk in, I was like, "Well, we're getting shot up. Right? We're just yep. getting shot yep. up now." There's just so many things that I've. Mm-hmm. Um, metabolized and are just a part of me and it's just a r- literal response to trauma <laughs> like 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about going astral, but dissociation, that was a big one for me. That was my main childhood bitch right there. Dissociation <laughs> and me go mm-hmm. back a long way. <laughs> wow. I'm going to tack right Absolutely. onto that. And yeah. Like tra- all, a lot of my trauma, I would say like maybe I maybe have like three really big traumas in my life. One of them being like the very gradual, like 18 years long like mistreatment of my childhood self yeah. mm-hmm. from bullies, from yeah. oppressive for- forces within my family, within my church community. And that kind of like ongoing, uh, an ongoing pattern of people telling me that I am wrong, that my, mm-hmm. that my being is wrong. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I also dissociate anywhere, everywhere yep. because the only way I could get through those moments was to not be present. I, I, I was thinking mm-hmm. about a lot about that when, um, when the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and I had the similar feeling that I had, I hadn't felt since I was a teenager, which was I can't go anywhere or do anything. I have to live through this. And you have to be with yourself. Yeah. It's it's so much harder to dissociate. I dissociated for the first time in my life this year. You'd be so, you'd be so proud of me. Very proud of you. um, No, I had a, on top of everything in 2020, because I've known Teebs and, Fran, obviously, for years, and there, you know, Teebs talks all the time about dissociating. I've seen Teebs. We had we had a very traumatic photo shoot uh, where we <laughs> oh had God, to get naked so on bad. the street uh, in winter, in, in winter, in in the in middle of no- motherfucking New York City on Grand Street in Chinatown, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and and it was and, and I we I watched Teebs leave his body. Yes, uh, and I had a, got um, some good pictures out of it though. The pictures uh, were the pictures really were nice. the pictures were those fur coats. That was Teebs' final form. Gorgeous. <laughs> Let me tell you teams has never been more teams. i can give face and not be there yeah, <laughs> yeah is, I mean, that's we right. definitely very impressive teams could be there and not at all be there yeah it was a very I, I i um i was having a very difficult conversation with people that i loved about something incredibly traumatic we had all been through and i just floated away and i kind of i was aware enough of myself to be like this is what dissociation feels mm-hmm. like i couldn't move my mouth Mm. They were asking me questions and I couldn't move my mouth. It was very, uh, it was, it was, see, that's Mm. rookie dissociating because when you get better at it, you can have full conversations and not be there and not be there. And and that is why I like, I am often, as you all have bared witness to, I'm often repeating myself (laughs) and often Mm -hmm. asking, wait, what's going on? And then y'all had already said it three times before. It's because... I have a really difficult time being present. Wow. And it, it has affected, as I've talked about on this podcast before, it's like it's affected friendships mm-hmm. um, in really big ways. It has literally like ended relationships on yeah, multiple you, occasions. You've mentioned that it's particular when you're having sex is very hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I ha- I'm less and less that. Um, especially this new year, I feel like I've developed a new relationship to sex, but like, because, yes. because I'm having sex often with people that I don't really want to see on a day to day that I don't really like to spend time with, which I'm not proud of, which I don't necessarily want for my life long term. And to all the people listening and who Fran is having sex with, everyone except you. You Everyone except you. (laughs) No, he really, really likes you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's something that I'm always trying to, especially as of last year, always trying to like get through. I have a really hard time being present and it's something that I'm still battling it's um, something that phones don't make easier yeah I, I the last guy that i dated um you know there was a moment wherein you know we had had like a really fucking good day like great date loving on each other all day 
And I, something came back to me. I have no idea what it was. And I fell into this like depressive episode and we were coming back to his house and like laying in his bed. And like, he's like such an energy picker upper. And he just like, he just like taps me and he like waves his hand in front of my face. He's like, where'd you go? Oh, like, where'd you go? That's a really beautiful Mm -hmm. way to react. It, it it really was. It yeah. was so understanding. Yeah. Um, and I had actually never been seen in that way before. Yeah. But also, it's like a testament to the fact that I do that all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. other people just had never said it. You know? I think a lot about yeah. Alex Chi's book of essays, where there's the essay where he's in a relationship and both of them have um, experienced childhood sexual abuse. And like the relationship between the two of them completely explodes because of the ways in which they both are experiencing the same trauma and oh, they're both dissociating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and they, he, he's like, we couldn't figure out what was going on and like why it's not working, but like, obviously it's not working. And I think the important thing that is true in Alex's Alexander Chi's book is that, um, you know, some people go through life without looking at back what, what that dissociation is pointing to. Like, what exactly. tra- what is the trauma? Uh, you know, because sometimes it, it, trauma is so hard to look at that sometimes it's so much easier to build your whole life about avoiding it. Uh, but then you repeat the same cycles of behavior that you might not be in love with yourself that only reifies the original trauma right. as opposed to asking yourself, what is this behavior actually about? And then, uh, you know facing it and that that whole book of essays is just about you know the whole quote that pain is information you know it's Mm. all about and i i think you know for me it was so important to read because i think we were talking last week about capitalism and and consumption and capitalism hums along on us just not confronting anything just consuming and going to work and this and that and and it's it is so much work to pause right and to ask what is really going on. Mm-hmm. But without doing that work, you're doomed to repeat the same cycles mm-hmm. that are probably fucking up your, you know, your ability to connect with other people or your ability to be creative professionally in the way that you want or whatever it is that you want. The trauma is blocking it. It's sometimes sad too when you are attracted to somebody and you're attracted to each other and in fact you really like each other but you have incompatible traumas what that is exactly oh, what happened to my me God. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> he's so mad um oh, yeah i mean yeah, yeah. joe you're exact you're saying exactly this i i'm reading right now this book called the body keeps the score it's like a, a book that a lot of you know traumatized people tend to pick up um it's like a go-to book that a lot of therapists recommend if you are interested mm-hmm. in the subject i strongly recommend it but he talks about how like according to science new science don't know her neuroscience but still Ooh. science he was like we now know and understand that trauma comp- compromises the brain area that communicates the physical embodied of feeling alive trauma wow. keeps us from being which is like so wild to think about and when i read that i was so shook because i immediately thought of the probably thousands of memories that i have missed out on because i was not there mm-hmm. and i do have terrible memory like i do not remember a lot of things from my childhood night i'm constantly forgetting stuff because i'm not there um and like i think that that to me it's like it's just like another way where i'm just like okay like let's figure this thing out like what what is the kind of yeah way of getting so i mean i 
Uh, I have a huge amount of bullying experience in my youth as well. And I, it super is. In therapy, I've realized that it's actually, you know, way more trauma than I, I always have minimized it. Everyone gets bullied when they're little, you know, everyone mm-hmm. has these experiences of patriarchy beating you down. Uh, and that might be true because there's a lot of patriarchy and it beats a lot of people down, but, but it, it, it was stopping me from being the, the, the best version of myself. It was stopping mm-hmm. me from the creative things that I wanted to do in life. It was stopping me from being the creative person that I wanted to be from being, um, you know, a weirdo mix of boy, girl, femme, butch, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think, you know, for, for people like me who tend to minimize all of that stuff, it, it's just been important to be like, no, that really, that, and I've always like totally rejected the, the Freudian nonsense of like, oh, the things that happen to you in your childhood make you who you are as an adult. But the things that happen to you in your childhood make <laughs> you who you Literally. are as yeah. an adult. And, yeah. and, you know, if, if, if you minimize it, you're not confronting it and you're not allowing yourself to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it reminds me, like, the bullying in particular reminds me of that adage, you know, everyone gets yelled at, but not everyone gets yelled at by someone they're afraid of. Mm. You know, and so that, so with the bullying stuff, it's like, yeah, everyone gets bullied, but not necessarily because of their sexuality or right. their expression or for being themselves. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. everyone's got an axe to grind. Everyone's, like, everyone is the recipient of and the and the producer of anger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's not always at that thing. Yeah. I, think, I think that's something I'm, I'm also realizing as I grow older, teams. You know, I lost a very close friend of mine, um, one of my best friends from college. Uh, she died at 27, um, and you know, my life has had a couple. That that was traumatic. That I mean, that it was. You know, um, I can't. I, I'm still processing how hard that was. But um, I think we imagine trauma as being um, this sort of individual thing that happens to some people. But I actually think trauma is common to all human existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, it works down scales of of identity as well, where, you know, fucking it is a very common thing to happen to women and femme people to be sexually uh, assaulted. Like mm-hmm. it is just the stats are fu- – so like that is a particular trauma that works across identity. But trauma happens also to everyone mm-hmm. across a life. And I, you know, I think destigmatizing <laughs> what it means to have experienced grief and loss and trauma, these things that are um that are super saturated with feeling, that are mm-hmm. full of feeling beyond the rational. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're never meant to feel that way or to think that way or to consider mm-hmm. those experiences. But that creates so much additional pain beyond the pain of the original thing. Yeah, it's it's sometimes hard to delineate and and to mm-hmm. to parse out where the trauma's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like I think like particular like okay so there's like queer trauma, there's indigenous trauma. Mm-hmm. Some of that is from the life lived and some of that is encoded in my mm-hmm. in my DNA. You know, like some of it is like there there's just obviously going to be um if if you are haunted by the state there is going to be a reaction to fear yeah. and, to, yeah. and to attention and to, I mean, I talked about it in Nature Bone, but it was like my performance anxiety. It was like, how much of this is like a regular, like public speaking and how much of it is like being seen means being in danger. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what it's been like. That's what my experience has been. That's been the experience of my people. The only reason why my, my version of Kumya is still alive is because we were inland. All of the coastal Kumyais were wiped out. Wow, you know what I mean? Right. But the ones inland where there wasn't any water, where there wasn't any big game, like where it was, where there was drought, they just didn't, the, like colonial powers didn't really care about 
until around World War II when they needed water because the city of San Diego was expanding because right. of the military. Oh my God. Yeah. And so it was like contact actually happened for my people relatively late, like late 1800s. Wow. You know, wow. and but there's but the thing that I have to remember anything that is important to remember is like we there we have generational trauma because we come from survivors mm. you know and so if there is information in that trauma there is also information about survival, survival. yes yeah. and there is information about strength and determination and resilience if there is also a requisite amount of pain and it's like hard to see that when you're denying that the trauma exists yes yeah yes, yeah yes. one of the things that i'm really interested in and thinking about a lot Two is it, because I also agree very deeply with Joe that basically the world is just a bunch of people walking around traumatized. Like we're all traumatized <laughs> all the truly, time truly. for so many things. Well, so that's much pain that so nobody knows date. how to talk yeah, about. My yeah. first date with anybody yeah. is like, like, so what's your trauma? What's your trauma? Let's talk about trauma. trauma? Um, <laughs> and so one of the things that I that I think about a lot is um, there's this really incredible short story by James Baldwin that comes at the very end of his collection. Um which I'm blanking on the name right now, but it will come to me. And it's actually, the story is, it's the title story of the collection. And in the story, basically, it's told from the perspective of a white man, and it's retelling um, his experience as a little boy when his family in the South would take him to lynchings and and oh. the, sort of what, the sort of collective experience of white people like watching them and viewing them. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting is that reading, it's an incredible, incredible short story, but what's so interesting for me is that reading that story, and I return to it very often, is that was the first time that I began to understand that when we even talk about like systems of oppression and things like patriarchy, things like racism, that they, they traumatize everyone, not necessarily in equal like ways, but like white people are traumatized by racism too. Like men are traumatized by patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it works in a different way, Mm -hmm. but like, that's a traumatic experience. I think about like the tendency that so many fathers have to, to like, let's say they have like a five-year-old son. Like this is, this is how I was told to deal with needles when I was petrified of them as a kid. And I still am. And you see this all the time and be like, okay, you're a little man. You're a little man. Don't be scared. Don't cry. You're a little man. I was not a little, I mean, first of all, I'm trans, but I was not a little man. (laughs) I was five years old. I was not a little man. I was a scared child and I wasn't even allowed to like be a scared child. I had to be this sort of masculine ideal and like that's traumatizing. And so one of the things that I do think it, think of that's so interesting about trauma is that it really is a shared experience and that so many people have it even when the nuances of it are different yes. because of where we are in a certain power structure with the thing that might be traumatizing us. And then that trauma gets passed down. Yes. Yeah, that trauma gets passed down. Um, Fran, you said something about uh, not being able to date someone if their trauma isn't compatible to yours. No, Teep said that. So I feel... It resonated. I feel like it was just... Exu- it exudes from your pores yeah, every yeah. moment of every day. What does compatible trauma mean or look like? I wonder... I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm on the spot here, but I'm wondering if it's like trauma that you can work through together. Look, it is, I think it is that, but it also has to be interdependent, right? Like, mm-hmm. code, like I... I I become very codependent in relationships. I love codependency. Yeah, I'm. I'm very bad. I do get into those because I, I realize that I am people. too. Wow, and I didn't wow. understand because because my 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 ethos 
in quote unquote relationships is I don't do two nights. Right. You don't tell your friends about me. I will not be telling my friends about you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like no staying that I, because I had to remove myself from them so completely because if they got too close, it was like an event horizon. I could feel myself right, right. spilling into that. Well, you, I, and the audience might not know this, but you talked about how when you were younger, if you were dating someone, their interest became your interest. Yeah. 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 I didn't know what my favorite color was until 29 years old. <laughs> that is, to, to, to know teams yeah. now, it is like a wild to imagine. I, totally different that's so real though and uh, but i do think that i mean to actually answer your question like i do think it's like it is there is a healing together moment but it does have to be to your own shit you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like this is something you will work out with your therapist your partner can help you with that or or give you the space to do it exactly your your partner should give you the space to grow as an individual not be the mechanism through which you grow and And to acknowledge what you're going through while you're doing it and part of the pain point that i was reaching with I mean, people that I've dated in the past was this moment wherein my dissociation, my dissociating was actually the biggest thing that bothered him about me. Mm. And Mm. that when, even though he is like the most caring person in the world and was so like giving and loving and created space for it, he also was like, okay, but like, when am I going to get you? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I just didn't, I didn't know, I didn't, I still don't have the tools for that. I've literally Mm -hmm. been in therapy for less than a year. Like, I'm still figuring that out. Mm -hmm. And it became a pain point. And our traumas were not compatible at that moment. But I, I tell myself, like, with this person or with other people, it's like, even if we're not ready now, maybe we could be ready later, right. you know? Mm-hmm. But I also think it's that's like... A, a, oh, that's so hard. I hate it when people tell me that, Fran. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. say that to him, but right. I did think about it personally. I know. It's hard not to. It's like, you know, it's it, it's it's a it's a, it's a a cheap uh, phrase, but, you know, right person, wrong time. It yeah. might mm-hmm. be true, but it, it hurts so bad to hear when you long for yeah. someone. But here's the tea. Oh. Like, I'm sorry to invoke the name of you know, she who must not be named, but RuPaul was not kidding around when he said, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Like, it it, 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 it does come down to that, like, I, y- you do have to be good to be good with someone else mm, a yeah. lot of the time. It you, just, you cannot fix each other. It like, yeah, and it really sucks when, the one that I'm thinking of in particular was like around touch and like, you know, we joke about not wanting to be touched whatever but to be honest with you if i'm in a relationship and i'm not being touched i feel like you don't want me physically right right, and this there was this person who his other thing was about touch and he couldn't like and there was just that that incompatible like it it was like we could we knew what was going on we knew what the score was the body held the score score. but Mm -hmm. it it repelled us it pushed us in different Mm -hmm. directions i i mean i think it's it's easy to take it too far with the RuPaul notion because like I said sure, earlier sure. I truly believe that to, to, to be alive is to have experienced trauma be open to experiencing mm-hmm. trauma every morning you wake up something horrific could happen uh, so it, I think a lot of people turn away from the possibility of intimacy or friendship because they're like I'm not there I'm not there right yet. don't do but that. you can always not be there you know so it's it, I think it's about um, I mean therapy has been so helpful for me to have a healthy relationship um, just because I have a space where I take care of myself uh, and my partner allows me that as well. You know, I'm like in LA right now and my partner is back home. Hi, baby. Um, and that used to be impossible for me. I was a little bit more codependent in relationships. And my favorite thing about my relationship now is my partner is like, you know, you want to go to LA for a month? Do it. Go to LA. You have yeah. podcasts to make. You have friends to see. Interdependent. He'll come if he can, maybe for a week. And, you know, it's just, it, I miss him 
uh, tremendously, but it feels so good to not worry about him cheating, to not be like thinking about um, not being able to do what mm-hmm. I want to do. Um, that is a because relationship I'm too connected to him. That is a relationship rooted in a fundamental security, right? Yes, yes. exactly. He's mm-hmm. so secure. It's bizarre. You I do not say. I so so are you though. Like I mean, you are so much more secure in this relationship than the than than <laughs> any of the other. <laughs> Yeah, it's so nice to not date a narcissistic Gemini. I will I will also say, you know, in the conversation of like, you know, trauma with partners, like I think that, you know, your that person will not be your antidote, but they can be a part of your healing. Totally. Right. They can be in the room as you are getting the antidote. Maybe. Like Mm -hmm. the antidote is kind of like a bad metaphor because it's a very gradual, slow, slow, slow process. No, exactly. But But I I do think there's it's important to kind of I guess like I want to open up that conversation of like how do y'all heal? They do I mean they do I will just give one tiny anecdote. Um and I mentioned this before that like a lot of my boyfriends before if I would dress more femme or whatever, they would not be attracted to me Mm -hmm. um and my current partner is not like that at all and like that feels so affirming (laughs) like it's not it's not that didn't heal me i knew it was fucked up what the other ones were doing but it is now like now that i've been in a partnership where i don't get femme shamed i'm never going back it is it's Mm -hmm. possible you know Mm -hmm. it is possible Mm -hmm. to find someone to love you Mm -hmm. in every sort of aspect of your gender expression Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. Ooh, that feels nice. Yeah, that and it's like nice. a it's a line. It's a bottom line. Like I'm not going to I'm, I'm not, not doing gonna, that shit yeah, no more. I'm not more. crossing the line again. Yeah. yeah. I have a, an example of of a, a, an incident that friend you were talking about like having a bad memory of, and I I had a memory and 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 I realized it was a source of huge trauma, but there was also a huge source of of who I am today. And yeah, um right. after I'd gotten on Res Dogs, um then and FX and Hulu had made the announcement and it was public that we were working on this show. Um, somebody got in touch with me and it was a woman from my past. Um, when I was eight years old, she was 18 and she came to live with us. She was this German woman who came to live on the res for a little while. And she was like, Oh, do you remember me? And I was like, of course I remember you. And I, I just briefly looked on my bookshelf and there was a tin of, uh, of these German crayons. They were called German wax sticks, which sounds very German to me. Yes. And, I really, I remember like, oh, you gave me these crayons. And she was like, I can't believe you still have them. And I was like, huh. And like all of these memories came flooding wow. back to me. And that they had, those crayons had been with me since I was eight years old in every apartment that I've ever lived in, in every dorm room I've ever lived in. I've always carried them with me. They were with me when I lived abroad. Every time I've lived someplace else, they've always been there. And I, it was, it was compulsive. Like I took them with me without thinking and mm. looking at the objects and the, all of the memories that were connected to that object with her and realizing that at eight years old, at an age when I needed somebody to encourage me, I literally grew up in a tribal society. And sometimes there was this notion that what's better, what's good for the group is best for everybody. And mm. like, it's, it's, I don't want to paint it with such broad strokes, but I never really felt encouraged to think of myself as an individual. I was really encouraged to think of myself as a part of a whole, as a part of a group, Mm -hmm. and to sacrifice individual desires for the good of the whole. Mm. But she was weird, artsy, like european like she was just she was so weird and she was an artist and she was a and and she was a photographer and she really encouraged that weird part of myself at an age when i needed that encouragement and i realized that that moment is such a huge part of me being a storyteller and me being an artist was the intervention of that person in my life at that moment and when she left it was quietly the one of the most traumatic and i've seen people get shot it was one of the most traumatic incidents in my childhood because i didn't understand the concept of people leaving 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, because when you're on the res, you stay on the res. And I just thought, oh, Annette's a part of the life now. Right. Yeah. And so her leaving, I just, I was so devastated. And I did not remember that devastation until that moment. And I looked at those crayons and within that trauma was a seed of strength of who I carried those crayons with me to remind myself to nurture my ambition and my creativity first. Holy mm-hmm. shit, Teeps, that's your rosebud. No, not that. <laughs> Can we, From oh. Citizen Kane. No. From, From Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. What? Old. No. <laughs> I, okay. You, I thought you were being gross. Too. No. And I was like, I for a second. I was like, I was no. Like, no, you are what? being gross. It's no! so gross. It's so gross. Anyways. Yeah. No. That's. But I mean, I feel like that's that's emblematic of trauma and and the double edged sort of trauma because if that person hadn't been there, you might not be the person who you are. I but fully at, do not believe I would have become. But at the same the time, mm-hmm. then when she left. That was a trauma. So overall, the experience of this person in your youth was necessary and yet traumatic also because that person wasn't going to be there for your whole yeah. life. Yeah. And I needed to learn that too. <sighs> but but ultimately, like that's what I'm saying with, with the healing thing. It was like the confrontation of the incident led me to understand why I am the person I am now. And mm-hmm. with that... And I'm gonna go see her in two weekends. Mm-hmm. So like it's oh, it's just amazing. yeah. Identifying that is so. I think what if we like you know are ending this conversation on healing and how things heal. I think identifying that is like a big mm-hmm. part of that healing. Literally just acknowledging it, talking about it, working mm-hmm. in psychosocially safe spaces feeling, among friends, yeah. among family, among therapists, and like yeah. feeling what that's like. And like with with me, Teeps, like mine was like the fact that as I said earlier, like it was like 18 years of like me hating myself, and then when I finally came into my own queerness, entered into a year and a half long abusive relationship. And so that those things combined have truly like truly affected every single thing I do now today. And I think that knowing that, is actually a big part of how we come out of it, right? And yeah. I think it's so hard because trauma is so stigmatized. It's like we both mm-hmm. all experience trauma, and then it, it makes you feel kind of, for me, it makes me feel like clinically diagnosed in exactly. a way that feels icky. And um, then on the flip side, it can also be really broad. Like I think sometimes people overuse it sometimes ooh. to describe things that mm. aren't traumatic, um, <laughs> which is, I we don't need to get into now. Yes, but, um, but that is the thing. It becomes very capacious sure. very fast. Um, I I know that like for me, one of the greatest traumas of my life is also like my relationship with the church and with like religion and faith and like that whole thing with my family. Um, and one of the things therapy has been such a blessing but one of the things in which i feel like i almost got really lucky is that my my therapist um also has like a masters in divinity and went to the same um seminary that my father did and so in our sessions we've really gone back and had like really in-depth conversations and i've like Discuss, uncovered so many memories and so many traumatic moments that happened to mm-hmm. me, like in the church because of the church. Um, sometimes in the context of my t- context of my family, sometimes outside of the family, and I've had this space that, like, where I gave myself permission to look at this like part of my life that I thought for such a long time I had kind of wrapped up in a box and like put away. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's lucky to me that this therapist happens happens to have the professional background to be able to kind of like 
examine all of this with me in a more authoritative and knowledgeable way. Like that's been really, really amazing for me. Um, But yeah, it's all, for me, it's all about giving myself that permission because I feel like the way in which it enacts in my life currently right now is that there are so few people that I really open myself up to. And it's because I was taught for my whole life to hate what was inside Mm. and that, and that it just wasn't okay. And that I, and so it was like, you're not worthy. Um, and so when I think about, like, I've never had a romantic relationship that got so serious that we, like, dealt with our own trauma, really, other than, for me, some of my sexual trauma in the past. But that's it. And I think the reason is because I was like, oh, I don't I, – we stop here. Like, mm-hmm. like you, your access to me ends here. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm working on as well. It's like – with the idea of it being a boundary, a, bar- a boundary, but it's actually a barrier. Yes. Yup. Yup. Oh, my God. That's – Oh, we gotta, we gotta, we here at Food for Thought love breaking down walls, blowing out walls, <laughs> having no walls. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait to get my back, back blown out next week. <laughs> I'm feeling full, but like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Den knows how I'm feeling. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, give us our cherry, Den. Um, for I can fit so many things inside of me right now because it's been so okay. long. Okay. It's just, actually, I probably can't because it's been so long. Um, <laughs> sorry. So <laughs> you're not sorry. You're not sorry. You're, you're, you're literally, you're literally you're, never why sorry. Are my you're you're never. about as sorry as when Wendy Williams said sorry after farting and burping at the exact same time on my television. <laughs> she goes, she farts and burps at the exact time, exact same time, and then she goes. I apologize. I apologize. And I'm like, no, you <laughs> don't. You're, you're not sorry. Right. You're right. You look annoyed. You're right. You're exactly right. I'm not sorry Iconic. at all. Iconic. Um, anyway, for dessert today, this is the thing. Um, I have discovered this incredible show. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know if you watch it. But if you don't, it's going to become the next big thing. Big thing. It's called RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> oh, Fuck you. Dead clearly did not run copy past France. Uh, I hate you. Fifteen years later. Oh my god. Fifteen that's years so later. Um, oh, you ha- you're familiar. Okay, so <laughs> I um, watched this recent season, and I first of all am completely obsessed with the show. Completely obsessed with the lip sync for your life. Yes. This is um, like that. Last week when Dead was like, have you ever heard of therapy? I know, I know. I can't get over it. <laughs> it's everything. And I want to talk about um, the winner of the most recent se- um, season. This is Rich coming from me, but if you don't know at this point, that's your own fault because it's been a little bit of time. But um, Simone, the Ebony Ooh. Enchantress. Oh, she's so amazing. Works at the flag factory. Every time Simone says factory. I get like a, a tiny anal orgasm. No, <laughs> no, that's not yeah. the expected way. You don't. Uh, it's whatever. my kink. No, <laughs> I mean it's, I'm kink chaining you. Right yeah. now. <laughs> Simone is absolutely exquisite, but I think um, what really made her so important to me, and and why maybe it was so perfect. This is really the first season of Drag Race that I've ever watched and engaged in. <laughs> is because it's a good I, one to start. It's a really good season. I think it's a good one to start. It's because Sim- Simone was so so unapologetically black, and not like the other other black queens um, were like apologetically black. They were unapologetically black too. But like Simone, when Simone did the. Um, the the episode the challenge where there's two queens and they like have to dress each other and um she had 
Utica mm-hmm. dress as yeah. Halle Berry's character from Baps, right? Babs. Yeah. Which was so amazing. It was like, amazing. It was iconic. Yeah. That hairstyle was iconic. Like it was just like like Simone was like reaching into the the deep barrel of like black culture, and a lot of times the the things that are like cultural iconic moments for black people but that don't necessarily cross they over don't to other to folks mm-hmm. like i was like i i Baps watched drag race with things. a group of yeah. white friends all of whom i love and are wonderful none of them ever heard of baps or saw baps what? or knew what that was <laughs> like they just like didn't know and i was like that i'm sucks. sitting there screaming oh my god baps like a lunatic and they're like wait wait what and i was just like okay i was like i will show you like materials after this so you can know what this is and so there were so many moments like that throughout the season that she was doing that just and maybe because of it because it's the time that we're in but it just was really um incredible and i just was completely inspired by her i'm completely in awe of her simone if you ever have listened to food for thought or whatever listen to food she for will. thought we love you so much uh, i'm obsessed first of all r.i.p natalie to sell but also like i just want to point out with that challenge specifically that uh Simone had the whitest contestant Correct. in the, in the show. The really difficult White. material yes. to work with. Yes. Let yes. me tell you. Yes. And let yes. me tell you, Utica still looked amazing. amazing. Yes. And it is because yep. Simone was like, no, you need to not be terrified and own it. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know if y'all do this, but it was filmed like June of 2020. So like every white person on the planet was like wow. feared for their lives <laughs> that, <laughs> that they would so do something sense. wrong so like that was the headspace that, that Utica was so in. much sense but Utica also is horrible sucks and yeah. it was really bad at yeah, right problems. We're, we're really we're bad problems. Problems. that's right we're not we're really talking about her yeah because <laughs> <laughs> it would be a different I was kind of so segment. nervous that Simone wouldn't win in the end yeah. for whatever dumb reason I mean she was just the star of the season yeah and uh, like like most of the best was in her head the most yeah, you know, like I feel it's like true. Simone mm-hmm. became Simone's biggest competition. Yes, yep. yeah. yes, and you could see that play out. But that's because she was so thoughtful, yeah, mm-hmm. and so incredibly made it look so easy. Mm-hmm. And ma- like there, it, like it seemed like an effortless. The, there were effortless looks, but there was so much work that went into that. Oh my god, and mm-hmm. thought and the 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 bravery, the chances she took. She's so young She's and so like young. just had this vision, and it was so cohesive but all these different projects but it all made sense together i mean it just what what a time to be alive and making Mm -hmm. art and weird shit Mm -hmm. and and being able to be in the presence of of such a great artist yes Mm -hmm. literally such a great artist yeah oh This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at Stitcher. Mm. Our producer is famed originator of the fashion mullet, Alexandra De Palma. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I had it first. I had one in fifth grade. Aww. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Den Consumes New Media. <laughs> I'm scared, y'all. <laughs> She's not ready. I am Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H E Y T E E B S, on Instagram, because I quit Twitter. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. on Twitter and Instagram. And you can subscribe to my newsletter over there as well. 
And I am Den Michelle, and you can find me on all of the social media. But just pay attention because the handles are changing. You can subscribe to our brand new and improved newsletter at foodforthought.substack.com for some extra delectable content. And check out our brand new merch, hats, tees, morally reprehensible thought goods at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics. Dick pics. Dick pics are good, too dick pics <laughs> to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com as always that's food the number four and thoughts spelled how t-h-o-t Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.